Welcome to this EMJ broadcast. I'm Dr. Ellen Weber, Editor-in-Chief of the EMJ, and with me today is Dr. Richard Boddy, a consultant in emergency medicine at the Manchester Royal Infirmary. We're going to talk today about Richard's very interesting paper that's going to be in the January issue of the EMJ that's entitled, Not All Suffering is Pain. Sources of patient suffering in the emergency department call for improvements in communication from practitioners. So Richard, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. So I thought we might just start by telling our uh, listeners, if you could just tell us a little bit about the study you did, what you did in the study and what you found. Sure. So in this study, we wanted to explore the ways in which patients are suffering when they present to the emergency department. And we wanted to find out what their hopes and priorities were about how we might ease that suffering in the ED. Uh, I guess that easing suffering is one of the most important things that we can do in medicine, but I felt that so often our approach to easing patient suffering is essentially to ask if the patients are in pain, and then if they are, we give them some painkillers. And when you think about it, that's just not enough, really. Uh, if you're in pain and that's causing you to suffer, getting some painkillers is only a small part of the solution. There are so many other things that might be making the pain worse, like the worry about what's causing it, or uncertainty about how you might control the pain, or whether it might be able to control the pain. And what's more, there are lots of other reasons, apart from physical pain, that might cause people to suffer in the emergency department. There might be other physical symptoms, for example, or sources of emo emotional distress. And if we want to do a really good job of easing suffering, I wanted to know whether we, whether we should be paying attention to those things and how much we should be paying attention to those things, uh, and whether our current approach, which is to score pain and provide analgesia, could be a little better. So we ran a really simple study. It was a prospective cohort study, and the groundwork was virtually all done by a, a brilliant medical student who's now a doctor called Ergol Cady. And Ergol approached undifferentiated patients who were presenting to the ED at the time of their arrival. As soon as they'd been triaged, she asked if they'd be willing to take part in the study and took a written informed consent. And then she carried out a short questionnaire with them. We essentially asked patients if they were in pain and if they were suffering. Uh, and then we asked them to tell us why or how they were suffering. We asked them what they hoped that we'd do about their suffering. And then, before they left the emergency department, a few hours later, we ran another questionnaire with them face-to-face -face and recorded all of the responses as close to verbatim as possible. We asked them if anything had been done to ease their suffering and if anything had made them suffer worse. Then, using all of those data that we'd collected, we did two things. We ran a descriptive analysis, so we reported frequency tables um, with all of the responses in there so that we can see the reasons why people were suffering. And we ran a thematic analysis, which was quite interesting. It's a qualitative analysis. Um, we took a sort of five-step approach, uh, immersing ourselves in the data, and then bringing out uh, codes from within that data, seeing what those codes were telling us about the, overlying, the underlying themes, and then creating a sort of thematic map of um, what all of these data were telling us about patient suffering in the emergency department. And can you tell us what you found? Yeah, what we found was actually quite interesting. Um, pain is, of course, a really important source of patient suffering in the ED. 
We all know that, and our findings confirmed that. But actually, it accounted for only a minority of the suffering that was going on in the emergency department. There were so many other things. There were other physical symptoms, like, uh, for example, nausea, dizziness, itching, all sorts of different physical symptoms that cause people to suffer. And there were lots of emotional symptoms too, like anxiety and feeling low. When we asked people what they wanted us to do about their suffering, a really small minority said that they wanted painkillers. The most common responses by far were about really simple human interventions, like providing reassurance and explanation. They wanted basic things like um, food and drink and uh, conversation. They wanted closure. They wanted an end to this. Uh, and that's a really important message that came out of this, I think. And and what do the people say about how well the emergency department had relieved their suffering? Well, that was a really, another really interesting uh, thing to come out of these data. The most common response to our question, what's been done to ease your suffering, was nothing. Uh, so that was quite surprising because we think that we do quite well. And I think that my department is, is very good at uh, uh, taking a caring approach to patients. But actually, we failed in a large proportion of cases to do anything to ease patients suffering at all, uh, which is quite a surprise. And it highlights, I think, the deficiencies in our care in this area. Uh, so, um, again, highlights that this is an important area, something we need to focus on. In your paper, you describe a method of basically thinking about how we can relieve suffering, and you call it EPIC. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so this came out of our thematic analysis. Essentially, we thought that the, the, the key messages that the patients were telling us about how they want us to address their suffering boil down to this acronym, EPIC, E-P-I-C-C. And this is a mnemonic that we could use perhaps to remind ourselves about the things that seem most important to patients when it comes to relieving their suffering. E stands for emotional distress. So we need to pay attention to all the different sources of emotional distress. P is for physical symptoms. So this is about recognizing the other physical symptoms that might cause suffering. Pain, of course, is the most important, but there are those others that I've just mentioned. And then I stands for information. Information uh, is about providing reassurance, diagnosis, explanations. It's right that that's central in the acronym because that's central to what the patients were telling us is important to them. C stands for care, basic care. Um, and I think that, that most importantly actually stands for just the, the actual sentiment of care. We need to actually care for what we're doing and for the patient that's in front of us. And the other C stands for closure. The patients really aren't there for enjoyment. They're there because they have to be. And as soon as possible, they want this episode in their life to end. They want to be admitted or they want to be discharged. Uh, and they want to put this whole episode behind them. Uh, if we really want to ease patient suffering, then uh, giving them closure is, is very important. What you're saying is so makes so much sense for emergency physicians. It's everything we learned in our first few years of medical school, how to sit down with a patient, how to talk to them, you know, how to have these interactions. Why are we not doing this? I think it's about time pressure. And we have targets in emergency medicine that are set centrally for good reasons. Uh, but there are some side effects to those targets, especially when we face 
such pressures with so many attendances and so much crowding, we do what we absolutely need to do to get through and treat everybody. And that means that we do very quick triage and we assess pain score and we do what we immediately can, which is to give some, some, some drugs to help that pain. With those pressures and with the, uh, the, the targets that focus on process measures, we don't have so much time to spend with the patients and thinking about what is really going on, what's really concerning them, what's really causing them to feel less than 100%. It's a shame, really. Uh, I wish that we had some targets around patient suffering, around simple care, providing simple care, but they're very difficult things to measure. Uh, it's subjective, and I guess that's why uh, it's not one of the quality measures that we have in emergency medicine. But it's so important to do this. Um, and even though it may be hard to ever have a target about how we address suffering in this way, uh, I, I think it would be wrong for us not to emphasize how important it is. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I'm I'm wondering, interestingly, that you do a lot of uh, research in cardiovascular work, and I'm wondering what drew you to this study. That's a really interesting question. So uh, when I first started doing research, I never really wanted to stay in cardiovascular research specifically. I wanted to do emergency medicine research. And I actually reached a point where I thought about what I was doing and um, how fast time was going in my career and what I really wanted to achieve. Uh, doing the cardiovascular research is absolutely brilliant. I think it's very worthwhile. But it takes a long time to get things into practice. For example, I'm interested in deriving an early rule-out strategy for acute coronary syndromes. And it's taken me 10 years to get to the point of publishing the first paper deriving and validating a clinical decision rule for that. It's a long time. I thought that it was time that I started to do some things that might help to influence patient care now. And this was one thing that I felt strongly about, that I felt that we could do some simple research in uh, and that could really influence patient care uh, very quickly. So that was really my motivation. Well, I have to say this was a really an eye-opener study for me because I agree with you that we do think we're taking care of the patient's most uh, concerning elements, whether it's that they're dizzy or that they have pain, but the ability to talk to them and reassure them and the fact that that's a large part of what makes them feel they're no longer suffering is um, in some ways surprising, I think, to many physicians who focus on the idea that patients are coming for their physical symptoms. And they are, but they are coming, it seems like, with a lot of emotion around that, and that's what we really need to be focusing on. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, this is highlighting that, that we all need to think about that, reflect on our current approach to easing patient suffering and thinking about how we can do better to pay attention to those things. So where do you go from here with this type of research? So there are three things. Uh, first of all, we need to complete the analysis and write up some findings about the quantitative aspects. We were going to look at suffering scores, for example. Um, we'd asked patients to score their score suffering, and I want to report those findings and see if there's any meaning in that. Next, I think we should explore in depth some of the more interesting findings from this study. It'd be really good to find out what people mean by things like reassurance. Can we really provide that if we're not sure about the nature of their condition when patients first arrive in the emergency department? We could explore that in some depth, for example, by doing some semi-structured interviews. 
Uh, and that will help us to really get to the bottom of what patients mean when they say they want reassurance and how we can best provide that for them. And then lastly, we can think about evaluating whether implementing these interventions, EPIC for example, actually leads to real improvements in patient well-being in the emergency department. And what are you doing in your own personal practice as a result of the findings? So I'm paying much more attention to the simple interventions, the simple human interventions that uh, patients told us that they, they wanted to pay attention to. Uh, I was absolutely blown away by how, how many of the patients told us they needed reassurance, diagnosis, explanation. It's all about empowering the patients with more information about what's going on, what they can expect. Um, it made me realize that you know, when I'm in pain, um, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter so much about the, the physical pain itself. Like, you know, if, you, if you knock your funny bone, for example, that really hurts but you know it's going to stop in 30 seconds. And as long as you know it's going to stop in 30 seconds and it's not serious, you don't suffer. Whereas if you had this gnawing ache, um, it was only a 2 out of 10, but you thought it was something really serious, that would cause you to suffer. And a lot of our patients, I think, do that. They tell us it's not really a pain, but they're worried about something. And sometimes, immediately, you can tell them, actually, you don't need to worry about that. It's quite clearly not a heart attack or it's not cancer. But let's get to the bottom of it and um, spend some time going into what it actually is. So I, I've started to pay more attention to those things up front, giving them information, finding out what's really worrying the patient, and then where I can, providing some reassurance immediately about the nature of those symptoms before we can go on in depth and explore what it really is. And are you finding this is taking more time than it used than your previous way of taking care of patients? No, not at all. In, in fact, it opens up whole new channels of communication. Um, you get to diagnoses much quicker. It lightens up the conversation. It's just all around better. I find um, patients like it. I like it. The emotions in the room come down. And uh, when that happens, the consultations are so much easier. That's very interesting, and that's a very important message because we think it's time, but it's not always time. It's sort of what we prioritize. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you'd be afraid of going into these things because you think you might open up a can of worms and you haven't got a time to deal with that. But actually, sometimes dealing with these things can be very quick, and it can get to the, the root cause of the problems much quicker than you could in the traditional ways. Well, I thank you very much for speaking with me today, and I particularly thank you for this article, which I believe will be practice-changing, and I just think it was a great piece of work, and we look forward to more from you. Thanks very much indeed, Ellen, and thanks for giving us the opportunity by publishing it in the EMJ. You're very welcome. We're very happy to have it. <laughs>